This is the State of Innovation podcast, where digital transformation's finest share their strategies and stories. Yeah, like I'm, I'm so old that I used to use modems, so that uh, sound clicking sound, two modems trying to connect. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Misha, for having me on your show. Um, I appreciate that. And uh, you hit it right on the nail. Uh, I have, uh, like, one of my passions is to, like, think uh, beyond the technology. Like, what uh, impact are we doing? Uh, it's not about, like, trying to uh, build stuff or make a ton of money or all of that. Like, how impactful is what we are doing there? So uh, a little bit about kind of like uh, where I'm coming from is that uh, after finishing my uh, PhD in machine learning, artificial intelligence, uh, the original field that I started uh, at was called um, the trust networks, which evolved into blockchain. So that uh, guy, uh, Satoshi, that nobody knows who is, invented that and all of a sudden, boom, the, this field started to grow dramatically. And uh, I, I found myself in the crosshairs of AI, machine learning, and uh, blockchain. And uh, during 17, 18, there was like this a huge boom for the ICOs. Everybody yeah. can, can like. I remember and, that. Yeah, you remember? It was crazy. I, so, I did everything possible to not to be involved in it. <laughs> yes. The same here, like I, I, I usually would, uh, go to conferences and uh, start with like, what is blockchain good for? And absolutely nothing. If you don't understand what it is and how you're going to use it, you have, uh, you're going to build the wrong thing and you're going to spend a lot of time and waste a lot of money uh, uselessly, like needlessly and all that stuff. So in, 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 I like to uh, think about things from uh, really kind of like, you know, step back, think through them in academia. Uh, you have to like really analyze things and think through how they work. And uh, I publish papers, like a couple papers a year. This year is special uh, because, hey, I'm not traveling anywhere. Last year I was like in uh, 50 cities globally. <laughs> so this time I'm, I'm traveling just from my uh, basement. Um, and in, in looking at the, the past, you always like uh, try to understand and uh, analyze. I think blockchain went through two phases, two waves. First wave is creating a digital asset. What does that mean? Before then, it was more of like, hey, uh, I can uh, create a digital file. I can make a copy, put it uh, somewhere. I can send it back and forth, but it still can make a copy of whatever uh, digital file that I've created. Mm -hmm. What blockchain brought is creating a digital asset out of that. So that made me kind of like uh, completely in, in shock because like in computer science, it solved two problems. One is double spend and the other one is the, um, the uh, Byzantine philosophers where you, you are trying to pass a, a message and you want to make sure that it is um, correct, the Byzantine general, sorry. Um, and solving those allowed us of creating those assets. What did we do with this capability? We created ICOs. And it was a ton of issues. Uh, people did not understand it. A lot of people lost a lot of money in doing that. And we almost, almost derailed blockchain, right? 
So I, 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 I still get those feelings and time to time, like this negative connotation when I pitch a blockchain for enterprises and uh, solutions that built on the blockchain. And just lately, I, I, uh, this week, I, I did a presentation and uh, one of the questions was like, and where's the token in your system? <laughs> like, uh, I'm like, uh, we don't have token. Like, uh, and they're like, Misha, this is a blockchain so, uh, foundation, right? So your, your solution is gonna leveraging the blockchain. Where's the token? Where's the coin in it? Like, uh, we don't use this blockchain <laughs> for this yeah. solution. So yeah, and it's kind of coming from this history there where people get screwed and um, and uh, some people they did really nasty things that uh, you and I right now fighting against, right? Yes. So uh, you are absolutely right. Not only that, but then this summer, um, another wave broke out, which called DeFi. So DeFi is decentralized finance. And it's, it's quite interesting because uh, it basically allowed us of applying all the banking uh, methodologies and the financial instruments that we use in the financial system, uh, system and sector and the banking on those assets that we've created in the first place. So things like creating loans, a uh, system like Aave that allows you to go there, unlock your wallet, get a loan, and uh, work through it, whether it is variable loan or fixed loan and so forth. That is quite interesting. It mimics the current uh, process. You can go to a bank, uh, leverage your asset and get a loan there. However, a huge difference is that it's uh, basically your wallet automatically, nothing else. So cut through the, um, the paperwork tremendously. And then it's in a matter of seconds, like literally seconds and you're done. Versus if you try to go through the financial system, it's uh, a, a ton of time and pushing a lot of paperwork. So this was uh, another uh, a tremendous moment where now we can uh, implement all of those uh, tools on the blockchain. However, probably like you know, uh, all, uh, what we've seen is this explosion in yield farming and a lot of people are like, hey, we'll give you 20%. No, no, no. 40%, how about 100%, 300%. I have yeah. seen websites where, yeah, I've seen websites where say like 50,000%, like what? And uh, what's your take on that? Like, what, what would you say? So uh, in reality based on your experience. Just so my it gives uh, to people some feelings uh, yes. of uh, like, where's the scam? kind of start, uh, starts showing his face. Right, so you know the saying, there is no free lunch, and if it is too good to be true, it isn't. So it's uh, similar to that uh, email from whatever prince that is, hey, I need your bank account so I can deposit all this money there. Um, if, if it is uh, too good to be true, it is not true. And we need to delineate between things that were possible and things that uh, kind of like just imaginary. So what's possible? What's possible is uh, when we removed a lot of friction from a financial system, then you don't have to have the uh, current uh, system. You don't have to have a lot of people working the same old way. See, 
the banking industry evolved from the Demichi era till today, like, you know, middle centuries. It, it is a, a really, really good evolution that evolved before banks. What did we have? Bartering system. And then what? You've created some monetary system. Um, some people uh, started agreeing, hey, it's not about chickens and, and bread because I can't store chickens. I can't have like a coop to store all those chickens. So created some sort of a monetary system. We use those um, coins or something like that to to transact in between us. But then you started having the same problem. Where would I save all of those tokens? So people used to like hide them in uh, the their house. And today you find like excavate and find like a whole treasure trove in some old jar because of that. Then uh, uh, if you're trying to travel, you are vulnerable. People can steal your money very quickly. That's what uh, gave a rise to banking system. So the banking system originally uh, in, in French, banknote means uh, currency. So that's because a bank would write you a note that you've deposited X amount of gold and has your name. You go to another branch um, from uh, Venice to like Marseille and you can then reclaim that gold from that bank. And it started evolving and creating all of those infrastructures there, but it is the technology is not suitable for a global uh, commerce right now. You cannot deal with lots of smaller transactions going through. So the good aspect of DeFi, or what I have been tweeting about a lot uh, these days is DeFi for good, is how do you A, delineate between both what's real, what's not real. The real is mm -hmm. you remove the, uh, uh, the friction, you're gonna have efficiencies, which means you can generate much more yield back to the user. However, mm -hmm. when it becomes astronomical, you have to stop and ask yourself, what, what is happening here? Is this a, a scheme where people giving you those returns in a certain uh, token that uh, has an assumed value that once you finish staking six months later, it's like at one tenth of its value. So what really was portrayed as a 100% is basically 10% when you get to cash it, all of those aspects there. And it drives us into the wrong path in my mind, the path of like, how can I my, make myself richer? So meaning those that have the means, those that have cryptocurrencies to begin with, uh, assets, Bitcoin, all of stuff would get richer. But the big premise of any uh, uh, revolutionary technology is how do we help the masses? How do we create a, a, a huge system that can help everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so take, for example, the internet. So at the beginning, it was used between universities and truly it was created by DARPA, uh, but then universities used it. So just the academic small group that using it. But then when it started to grow and grow and grow, nowadays, everybody, the, the grandma in the middle of Africa is using the email to connect with her uh, grandson in uh, the US studying in a university, right? So now it, uh, that, what did that do to like um, the post office? What did that do to the uh, old telephone system? All of those stuff went away because you, you found a new way. There is a very interesting theory that I like a lot. It's called um, uh, infrastructure inversion. Did you hear about it? Uh, so, I, I, I did, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people who will watch this uh, 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 this uh, event, <laughs> this episode will appreciate it. So if you if you can, please. 
Sweet. So for everybody, I, I, I teach, so I, I'm used to like speaking a lot. Just forgive me for that. But uh, the, um, uh, the uh, infrastructure inversion theory is, is, goes like the following. With any technology, there is uh, incumbent te uh, technology that is used, that everybody is using it. And then here comes a new technology that at the beginning, it starts to use the current existing infrastructure. And usually it's not kind of like very fitting and not a lot of people using it and so forth until a point where it, uh, the new technology starts to be used more than the old one, even on the old one uh, uh, rails. And then it creates its own infrastructure and the old technology is used on top of it. Then we have the complete uh, infrastructure inversion. Let, you, let me give you a couple of examples. So one big example is the uh, uh, phone. So originally we, uh, like I'm, I'm so old that I used to use modems so that uh, sound clicking sound two modems trying to connect. <laughs> we, can, we can talk about like why the modems are doing that. So uh, just a tidbit like a, a uh, big I, 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 I remember that even based on the sound, we, uh, we, 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 we knew what's going on right now, what signal is going on, like <laughs> would yes. it be connected or not? <laughs> yes. So, so the modems originally uh, uh, used to like give that beep and the other modem would give a beep, say like, okay, I'm here, give a couple beeps, reply with a couple beeps, and then it starts to go faster and faster and faster. And it replies until you get to a point where you cannot really uh, repeat the message. So you then you set your uh, rate, board rate. The reason for that is we had copper wires. So maybe in the States, copper wires were very good, but uh, in Africa and other places like that, it was like basically hanging in the air. So the board rate would go down. And uh, at the beginning, phone companies said like, oh, get those awful modems off of my network. Uh, it's ruining everybody's experience and all of the stuff. And the modems started to adapt better and better, find different modulations, all of that stuff, until the internet started to dominate. And, all of the sudden, we now have the internet. And guess what happened to the phone companies? They are now 99.9% .9 are using voice over IP. We are talking over the internet. We're not chatting over a dedicated phone line. So a complete inversion, a complete infrastructure inversion has just occurred with the phone companies. Good thing to understand there is while laying down copper lines by itself for the purpose of using a dedicated phone line gone away, but the phone companies themselves, that those that understood, those that uh, saw the future coming, that learn how to evolve, survived and thrived. Those that tried to resist the uh, progression of, of science and technology basically are no longer with us. Yes. So, so that's kind of like, you know what, I'm kind of like always thinking that the same thing is happening, by the way, in blockchain for financial sector, for a couple other ones. It's driving efficiencies and efficiencies help a lot of stuff. Another example, uh, just as we are on it, how many of the viewers now go book the ticket through uh, a, a tourist office? I remember in my days, I used to call someone, book an appointment, go in their office, drink a cup of coffee, and then talk about, hey, I wanna go there, I wanna do this, I wanna do that. And then they would look up and, on and the, then, uh, the the green screen, <laughs> <laughs> and then say like, "I remember that, yeah." And, and print a bunch of stuff, and then you have to have that bunch of stuff with you. And if you lost the piece of paper, it's like you're crazy. 
and you have to have it like confirmed and all of the stuff. Today, nobody does that, like very few, unless you're a company and you're so busy, then you use a travel agent for those. But most of people basically go on the phone and use any of those consolidators that book online for you. That's another way, like the complete inversion of the technology has happened for those as well. And look around you, you'll see a lot of those similar ways that are dealing with new advances. That means new jobs, new ways to look at it, and a, a, a better future for all of, all of us. So similarly, if you think around uh, DeFi, like to go back to that topic, thinking about DeFi as a way to get as much as possible yield is the wrong way. The best way is to think about, okay, blockchain during 1780, remember when they say like, hey, we'll unbank the unbank. Hey, we'll provide education for everybody. Hey, we'll provide healthcare. None of that happened, right? Why? Because it was too big of a dream and everybody was focused, like they said, on the token. Where is my token? I want to sell tokens and all that stuff. That's not the right way. Right way is like, who's going to take care of those people that don't have tokens that are unbanked and all of that stuff. That's why... Where, where, DeFi, where's the value, right? It's always yeah. about value. Where is the impact? Show me impact. So so that's what I'm kind of like, you know, uh, 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 pushing for and preaching for people that we need to figure out ways to do all of that stuff and make sure that we don't waste the second wave, the DeFi wave on creating large yields, but rather focus on how do we utilize that wave to basically create a better financial future, financial inclusion, uh, get more happiness for everybody around the globe. How do we invest in a, in, in a better future? One thing that I like a lot about, um, for example, the MENA area, uh, that they have those generational funds, not only there, but uh, Sweden has it, Norway has it. They create a fund to invest in the future of people. And it's, uh, it's a, a, a big uh, fund that invest for the people to create a better future there. But how can regular folks benefit from, from this? So that has been kind of like my very big focus in there. And a lot of people would kind of like, hey, um, we're tired of you asking that question and trying to preach of like, hey, you have to have it better. Uh, why don't you tell us how to have it better? Actually, uh, what I like about it, uh, like right now I'm in Dubai, right? Mm -hmm. And I observe this a lot. I do see different mindset of people here, okay? And where they think about in the format of uh, timeframes of generations, where I'm meeting with someone and he tells me like, oh, I am actually right now benefiting what my dad did for me. And I want to introduce new new things, new technology, new new stuff. And it's not for me. Like they're not asking me for ROI into and uh, like payback in two months. Like, would this technology will survive for this like for 10 years, for 20 years? What do you envision that will will be in the next next 30 years? Would my kids will benefit from this? Okay. And it's actually a different mindset. And I needed to adopt to this when, when, when I was running those discussions. And like, I actually like it. I, I do think that whatever we do from technology perspective, and for sure, technology will adopt and technology will evolve. 
And in five years, we will have something that probably today we even don't dream about it. But thinking about the, this from the way like, oh, okay, we need to go and uh, do something that allow, will allow us to have actually to get those benefits in 20 years from now. This is really a different mindset. And this is really like demonstrates that they're not even thinking about scamming someone. <laughs> they're thinking about this from absolutely different ways, okay? And I do see probably this is one of the reasons why I do see some announcements even here about how banks trying to adopt the blockchain technology. They're not talking about DeFi, okay? But they do talk about things that uh, actually um, helps from technology perspective. Between, between you and me, I do believe that they're actually starting to adopt those things because they see the, uh, some threat in DeFi, what DeFi brings to the, to the world, uh, the way DeFi operates, the, the possibilities. They do understand this. And I do think that uh, actually we will observe really soon uh, different behaviors that uh, government and, and banks will step in and will start adopting this the same technology, the same frameworks, and probably we will lose some of the beauties of the ideal blockchain implementations, okay? But from the really value perspective, I do believe that people will start seeing more, much more value than what, what they see right now, okay? And this is what actually fascinates me that technology really brings values uh, that, uh, changing the lives, not just uh, allowing those owners of the technology to make extra few bucks. It's, it's much more. It's not about like me get extra bucks on bringing new technology to the life. It's about what technology that I'm bringing to the table does for the next generation. What it does for people that, how it's gonna affect them, right? So this is really interesting aspects. And this is all about like, I, I would call, call it legacy. What legacy this more cutting edge technology actually going to live? It's kind of two different words that usually not staying in the same sentence, right? Cutting edge technology and legacy, right? So, yes. but still like, uh, I do believe that we, we need to do, to, do, uh, to do more stuff around that. And, Actually, one of the reasons why I really wanted you to be on this show, it's uh, the the way you like when you when we started to talk first time, okay, and it was really interesting even how we get connected. I really loved your your story, and this is what we skipped at the beginning, the in, uh, the introduction, how you introduce yourself, and uh, how uh, your journey about education and how you get even to the point of the PhD and why you needed to have it like to, to earn this uh, the, your space at the dinner table. Like, uh, would you mind to repeat this? Like, it was really interesting uh, because you're one of those few people that I met in last uh, like five years that uh, came to this digital world, came to this blockchain world, not because of like, oh, it's an amazing framework and platform to do extra bucks. You have absolutely different story, how you actually found yourself in a blockchain. 
So would you mind to share it? Sure. So I actually uh, grew up in Alexandria, Egypt, and uh, I was born to an academic family. What I mean is my dad is a professor, my uncle is a professor, my other uncle is a professor. My late uncle, who is not a professor, was a high school principal. So I had to get my PhD just to sit on the dinner table. <laughs> so uh, um, uh, I, I call myself an academic brat because my dad had students across Europe and I would travel with him uh, almost every summer. And that's how I, I got to speak half a dozen languages varying proficiencies with those but that also helped me to uh, reconstruct my brain around kind of like different languages uh, language is a result of its culture even in our MENA uh, region you see like an Egyptian dialect is different than uh, the dialect in Dubai different than the dialect in Kuwait it reflects the people the way that they use the words the way that they construct all of the stuff is different and that allowed me to see both differences and similarities between cultures and break the barrier. So when I speak with someone and kind of like, you know, talk with them in, in Spanish, it immediately uh, uh, like breaks the ice and allows us to continue talking English, but it's at least they know that I know a little bit about them. So it helps more. The other thing is it opened my eyes on like, the uh, commonality of what's going on globally. Like we are all humans uh, confronted with the same issues, have the same problems. Even if you kind of like in the middle of Africa or in the middle of Europe or somewhere in the Middle East, same thing. So we need to think globally, like more global. Then um, uh, I, I did part of my undergrads in, in Germany. I actually got a scholarship uh, fully paid uh, to, to get my PhD in Germany, but uh, I told my dad, I was speaking on the banks of the Nile, uh, and he's like, oh, so your bags are packed, you're going to uh, Stuttgart, uh, yes? And I said, no, it's like, why? It's like, I want to go to the US to study there because I feel that I'll be able of making more, that it's more open, more free, I can do all this stuff. So he said, you're crazy gave me a check and uh, said, don't ask me for more, more money. But I, of course, I did because that's what kids do, right? So uh, I went to um, NC State uh, and was doing my master's in computer engineering. Uh, and I, I met a startup. I was not really looking, but it's kind of like crossed my path. They said the magic words. You can do whatever you want, quote unquote, but just make it happen. <laughs> so make it happen, I did company got acquired and I got hooked on startup life, meaning every time I would like go create a bunch of startups, help startups, one or two of them will get widely successful and get acquired by a much bigger company. I find myself in uh, like wearing a suit and a tie kind of thing and running that company um, until I can't like be thinking within the box. I don't need to think outside the box. So I step down, go to the next uh, thing. That happened to me not once, not twice, but thrice. So now I'm, I'm hopeless. I, that's the only thing that I know in my life is building things and just go there. Also helps me to be on my feet all the time. Like think better, think around all of that stuff. Not get too comfortable in some place because when you get too comfortable, you just get used to it. When you are always pushed outside your, your comfort zone, your uh, focus to think different. See, I learn more with challenges. 
you you don't evolve by sitting there and everything is happy you only get fat but if you if you're challenged <laughs> then you can really like uh, apply your entire brain and think through all of the stuff uh, then I, I was doing my PhD in computer science, uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, uh, and uh, the trust networks. Trust networks was kind of like not very interesting at that point until Satoshi came and changed everything. So that's what made me kind of like finish my PhD just in time for the explosion in Bitcoin and blockchain and all the stuff. And my life completely changed of like, all of that and one of the things that you get uh, the privilege to do when you are a PhD especially if you're publishing and having like papers I got uh, a lot of them is uh, to kind of like have this responsibility or obligation to show people how to do the thing the right way because when you write a paper there are peer reviews and they have to like review it show you critique you so the critique is not an attack the critique is more people trying to help you produce something better. And once it is, it's golden. So that's the mental like framework that I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. So found myself there, lots of companies, lots of uh, people, uh, capabilities to do things. And I'm coming at it from, okay, let's critique first, understand what you're trying to do, how you're gonna do it, does it work or not? Like somebody comes in, it's like, hey, uh, Dr. Dale, I want you to introduce my project. Okay, what is your project doing? Don't worry about my project. Here is a bag full of money. Like, no, <laughs> if you understand what your project, we're selling cupcakes. What cupcakes? What what has cupcakes to do with blockchain? Well, cupcakes on the blockchain. You know that you had a unique cupcake. Well, what value does that bring? Don't worry about value. We make token. You take token. Token gets rich. You're happy. That's not what I want to do. So, uh, so that was like the uh, where like that explains why I'm always thinking about impact and thinking about that uh, there are a ton of people out there that don't have the same access, the same capability. How can we help them? If you focus on the project, focus on your work, everything else will take care of it of itself. You're not gonna go hungry. And uh, in most like like uh, what Elon Musk says. In most uh, uh, advanced societies right now, like that's basically 80% of the globe, uh, you're not going to go hungry. There, there are uh, systems in place to help you make ends meet. So what do you have to lose uh, in there? Not that much if you think about it. So try to apply yourself. Try to like solve a big problem. You can always get a job and slowly decay into that job. But uh, it's much more fun to go try something new and try to create something that nobody has thought of before, but you, right? Absolutely. So that's where I am. That's why I'm a troublemaker all the time. <laughs> so I, I always said it's better to try than regret that you never did it. Okay, yes. so uh, I always kind of coming from this mindset that we need to experiment. I love experimenting. Yes. Uh, Dr. Adal, I wanted to ask you something and actually, like, you know, I talk a lot about mindset in business and I talk a lot about communication channels between business and technology. And sometimes, uh, like I spend my life in technology, like uh, um, I just realized uh, how old I'm getting. So I actually just counted uh, another day that I already have more than 30 years experience in technology. It means I need to up, even update my uh, so some of my profiles in PowerPoints or on LinkedIn. 
uh, to talk more about this, right? That, oh, already more than 25 years. And I do see a lot of disconnects between business people and technology people. And I do see that how technology companies, technology startups struggling to push their idea to the world, to succeed uh, with this. And I know that you went through this path from being a CTO and becoming a CEO. So what did happen in your mind when you actually changed those hats? Did you feel anything that was kind of stopping you, slowing you down, something that uh, you were not comfortable? And if yes, how did you overcome it? Like, uh, can you share a few, few, few thoughts on that? Okay, so that's a really good question and uh, just a, a fair bit of warning. I'm going to have to talk about my current project uh, during that because it, it's relevant to what we are discussing here. So you are absolutely right. I spent uh, 20 years being a CTO and uh, I, I, I kind of like evolved in my focus from uh, thinking about how do you build the technology uh, because I've seen in different uh, companies the struggle between the uh, CEO and the CTO and COO in most cases. Each one of them have a different mindset. Um, if you are familiar with Kavi, he has like the seven habits of uh, successful and seven habits of good relationships. One great <clears throat> thing that he says is uh, it's like a bank account when you are talking with someone. So if I come and say like, Misha, I need you to do this. And like, you just like completely uh, not reasonable. I have to think and stop, but I've done all of those other things for you. Yes, but uh, they were not the right way, things that you appreciated. I'm always late. I'm always doing that stuff. I'm not paying in the currency that you would expect. So you need to figure out the currency of each uh, uh, actor or player in the company. The CTO is thinking about technology and how to do things that are solid from a technology point of view. The CEO is thinking about how do I get this company to be successful? How do I pay? Uh, the investors, how do I work with it? How do I make the impact that's set through the mission that I wanted to create much bigger? The COO is thinking that the, those two guys are crazy and one of them is creating a technology that's hard to maintain and the other one expecting me to like roll it out to the customer. So like, ah, so yes. So they come back like, hey, the, Mr. CTO, there's a lot of problems here. It's not working. It's like, what not working? I tried it on my laptop and it's working. It's like, yes, but the course customers are not seeing that way and the ceo comes in like hey i sold like a million dollars of this stuff so here are the customer coming and everybody else is like pulling their hairs there so i started becoming uh, more of like a company marriage consultant talking with different parties in the <laughs> i like it marriage consultant. Yes. so it's kind of like okay mr ceo sit on the chaise long tell me more about what's happening and explain and just by them being heard it's much easier. And a lot of dynamics is just humans. People want to be heard, be validated of their concerns. So uh, as a, a CEO, if I'm talking with you and you come and say like, hey, this blew up in the face of the customer and you would say strange. It's like, what do you mean strange? Like th this actually happened, but you need to kind of like show some sympathy there and show what's going on. And similar on the other side, if you want to get a certain function done and I am as a CTO, I kind of like thinking about like all the work that needs to happen. And it's it's easier to just do it this way. 
can't have like your opinion period. It has to like figure out how can we get to a compromise. The more that we can deposit in each other's bank account, the more that you can give me as a CTO time to refactor the code, to make it better, then I am now more happier and can help you with stuff. The more as a, a COO, you give me tools to manage the platform so that I don't have to sit down with my team, work through all the stuff. The happier I'll be, the more open that I am. The more as a CEO that I give you ability to get the system out there, deployed, making money, then I am much happier to sit down and talk with you about all your problems. So it becomes that uh, aspect. So it took me to get to that point to understand the difference between all this stuff, because I am only seeing it from my point of view. When I became uh, a kind of like a shrink for uh, companies, now I, I saw myself and I saw my own uh, shortcomings. So then comes the story of like, why did I become a, a CEO? I become a CEO because of all of that stories around like a challenging people in the community. We need to think about DeFi for good. And how do we use the DeFi? Don't abuse it and all that stuff. And the community came back and said like, we, we appreciate you being an academic published and everything, but you don't know anything about the real life and kind of like they are challenging. How can we solve it? And like you are all talk and nothing. So I went back and created a proposal on how do we use DeFi for good uh, in there. So, and that proposal is called a DLN. It's a, a decentralized lending network that is created as a DAO. It aims to use something new that I invented called social staking, allowing us to um, separate, entangle the actual assets from the risk of those assets by helping you bringing your friends to the table and together collectively, you can unlock uh, the financial needs in a community. So when when people saw that, so like this is awesome, this is great, but you are going at it from the point of view of like, let's help people because the network is generated to be free loans. You will, you would go and get a free loan with 0% to achieve what you want to get. Meanwhile, your friends that backed you up will get a return at the same time. Sounds good, too good to be true? Yes. The part that is too good to be true there is we're not going to generate a quadrillion percent return in this. It, it is very conservative as a system. So then people said like, okay, you know what? Good idea. You seem like you cracked the code. All of the things work. But who's going to take that? If it is not like a gazillion, bazillion money in it, who's going to take that and run with it? Somebody needs to be responsible. Pick it up. Yeah. We will, will not put our money behind that unless somebody picks it up. And all of them looked at me and said, like, what? What are you looking at me? I'm a, I'm a professor. I said, no, you have to do it. So that's where I stepped up to the plate. said, okay, I'm going to be the CEO. I'm going to take the responsibility of making this happen, not only for the users using it, but for the investors that are putting their money behind all of the stuff to make sure that we show a, a, a study case, a poster child of how we can use cutting edge technology for the embitterment of the entire community, not just the few, not just the elites, but how do we help the entire place? Yeah, you know, like one big example that I always give, when you look at a community, you have a lot of people that have money. If you don't have money, then you have friends and together you can unlock all of the stuff. You know the difference between uh, light from 
a bulb and laser that the both of them are photons except the laser photons are in phase and in sync that's why they cut through steel that's why if we can sync up the community's capabilities we will unlock them up in the you don't have to rely on government systems to do all of the stuff for you. You don't have to rely on big banking and corporations to do that. We can use DeFi with a DAO, basically decentralized autonomous organization, to create a system that helps each one with their friends to unlock their capital. And all of them will be benefiting from the system. The borrower gets it all free and the friends would get rewarded for that which kind of like makes me think around like, imagine all the developing projects going out through the MENA area. You have a lot of people that just, I want a, 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 a mother that wants to buy a, a sewing machine. Today, she needs to go uh, borrow money either from a bank or from her friends and, and kind of like, you know, there is no organizing of that. But through the system you can, we'll organize all our stuff and get, it, get her the sewing machine while her friends Will, will benefit while they wait to be repaid on all of that. Absolutely. And it's already live, right? Uh, this is the first step. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to make it as true to blockchain spirit as possible. So the very first thing that you do in a blockchain system is create what we call a light paper. A light paper is the predecessor for a white paper. White paper. So, I created a website called dln.org. If you go there, you don't need to create a user. You use your MetaMask as your user. So you just go there, click, create a MetaMask. If you don't know what a MetaMask is, just add it in Chrome and create a free wallet there. It does not have any information around you whatsoever, but it gives you that unique address, that number to get you inside. Once you get inside, you can put as much or as little information as you want. Click on the link to the light paper, go there. It's all open. You'll see tons of people commenting on it. So we opened up this now for a few weeks since I gave the keynote speech in um, LA Blockchain Summit, mm -hmm. uh, beginning of October. And a lot of people came, commented on it. We going to let it run for maybe a week or, or two more. Then what we are going to do is close this one uh, and create a copy of it clean it up, make it a, a true white paper. So this way, the entire community, we have like 200 plus that already participated. Uh, last time I checked, yeah. So, and then uh, uh, write it correctly. My research team is working through the, all the different details. We wanna use networks and uh, blockchains that have very minimal uh, fees on them so that we make the system what you call it greases kids on it like it's very easy very simple we don't need to do any uh pushing and hand holding there and then we are processing all of the stuff and producing them so now we are in the poc phase of all of that stuff and we will launch gradually first we will hand hold so we have talks with people in africa for example uh kenya zambia around like their needs an example of that is there's this group that is trying to help miners, like co-op miners in the middle of Africa, trying to get equipment so that they can mine with uh, a better safety. But those don't have any credit, so they cannot go to the bank and get a loan. And that means that the, those, this company cannot sell them the equipment. So their business depends on that. However, 
in the community there is little bit of money everywhere there it's not pulled together if they we have been talking about using dln to allow them to pull their money together everybody gets the benefit of that the company will be able of selling the equipment the miners will be able of getting the loan using that the backers of them the friends will be able of getting uh, uh, payments for that we've been considering things like um, uh, unesco uh, unicef uh, the different philanthropic organizations uh, to like the melinda gates to help uh, with the system as we start on board slowly we, i don't want to like make hey zero to a uh, hundred million dollars in overnight this is not a get rich quick scheme it's get wealthy as a community plan where we can grow now this is quite important like i'm talking with medical relief next week as well because we have a, a grim situation coming through uh, post covid we're going to have a tsunami of medical debt we're going to have a tsunami of uh, uh, foreclosures and tsunami bankruptcies. Who's going to help all of that? All of those people. We need to figure out a way that instead of depending on just governments, let's create a system that allows people that can help. If I wanted to help somebody in in Africa uh, with their problem today, I have to send the money. Takes three days, forty-five dollars fees to go there. We need a better system that can deal with smaller stuff. That's what DLN is designed to do by and for the community so if you want to check it out go to so the site creating a community that actually yes. supports itself yes. and supports the members of the community yes it's amazing idea like it's yes. uh, not uh, give me your money guys yes. together you can have all, all together you can have a benefits of the money it's not about money it's about yes. what you can buy by leveraging yes. this money by leveraging this asset and you actually showing the to community that not so technically savvy how to be proper community members and support all the members of the community brilliant idea i love it thank so, you dr adele really simple question on the on that if somebody want to help you mm -hmm. how how they do this like uh, to and where where you want people to support you on what angles where where you need help so first thing is go to the site because like what i said before i need to eat my own kind of like you know uh words so we go to the site sign up uh, on dln.org uh, using your metamask comment on the white uh, light paper tell me where i went wrong i want to find the uh, issue the critics that's most important because once we build it we can't be wrong. We have to like get the best and the brightest there. Second, there is a, a Twitter handle that you can tweet on it. I'll answer you there at Dylan Dow. Uh, you could uh, uh, go to the Telegram channel. I'm always there. Join us. We uh, There is a Facebook. There is also um, the LinkedIn and all of this stuff. And let's communicate together. If you are a, a, a developer, great. Sign up. You, you, uh, we can use your help. If you are an architect, same thing. If you are a community organizer, come in. Let's talk together. How can we uh, use this? Deploy it in your community. I'm not looking to create a bazillion different place. I'm looking at what place can we go, get a, a few projects started up, show that it actually works, and then what 
we've learned from it to apply those lessons and build it from there if you are an investor but if you are an investor not looking to quadruple your money by by the new year if you are an investor looking for an impact if you are building things generationally if you want to make your region your uh, your area the world together a better place then let's talk about how can we build all of the stuff and together as an impact investor make the best impact that would overlast ourselves awesome this is what i really like about it that it solves the problem okay it actually brings the value to community not to to creators first of all it brings the value to people that going to use it and this is what i like about it it's not a, and it's not about technology like I, I like that you didn't brag about like the benefits of the blockchain that you choose to use and how many transactions. No, let's talk about the, the business, not even business value. Let's talk about value, how it helps people, how it helps uh, to society. And this is what, uh, what I like about it. And this is why I wanted you to be on, uh, on, uh, on this episode. And this is why we wanted to, to chat. And uh, this is why I wanted to record it. I do believe that people need to know about people like you that uh, thinking about others, what can they do when they wake up? Thanks for tuning in to another episode at the State of Innovation. If you got feedback, ideas, or possible next guests, send us an email at info at stateofinnovation.show. Check out our website for all episode history, www.stateofinnovation.show. We're available on basically all major podcasting channels, including YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and whatever else is out there. And join the conversation going down on LinkedIn. We'll see you in another one. The State of Innovation Squad hopes you've enjoyed this podcast.